Isaiah 40 uh, this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, let's just consider uh, where we've been uh, and then where we are in that context. Uh, chapters, um, well, the first part, first part of the book before the last four chapters uh, has dealt mainly with prophecy leading up to the Babylonian captivity. Uh, uh, we've looked at the Assyrians and, and prophecy regarding the Assyrians and some other nations around uh, Israel, but mainly with pro uh, various prophecies leading up to the Babylonian captivity uh, of Judah. Uh, and then in the last four chapters over the last several weeks, we've been looking at sort of this this interlude, this historical interlude regarding Hezekiah, uh, King Hezekiah, and his deliverance uh, from the Assyrians. Last week, last Sunday morning, we saw in chapter 39, very short chapter, just eight verses, you may recall, uh, dealt with uh, the foolish choice, the unwise choice that Hezekiah made uh, to kind of show off to these uh, ambassadors from Babylon. Babylon wasn't yet the sort of the global power. It was still the Assyrians, but they were the up-and-comers. And so uh, it was unwise for uh, Hezekiah to show off all the wealth of the kingdom to them. Gary, they had long memories. And when they gained power, they came back looking for what they had seen uh, and more. So uh, we talked about some of the spiritual problems that maybe were at the root of Hezekiah's decision. Zach really pride, right? Uh, that sort of show-offiness being rooted uh, in pride, the, the sin of pride. And, and so we saw that. Now, uh, from this point, from chapter 40 through the end of the book, chapter 66, uh, Isaiah will be prophesying and, and dealing with events uh, it seems to be the case primarily, at least, events beyond the Babylonian captivity. So uh, the captivity has happened, uh, 586, um, in part, at least, tied to the events that we saw, Brother Ray, uh, in, in chapter 39 last week. Uh, and now as Hezekiah is, he's doing a variety of things, but while the Lord threw Hezekiah, right, uh, he's uh, comforting the people. Uh, he's, he's comforting them, offering them hope um, of forgiveness and hope of deliverance from captivity, uh, hope of deliverance of, uh, back to home, uh, ultimately hope of deliverance in and through their Messiah, uh, and not just getting back home during their lifetimes, but looking ahead to the millennium uh, and, and beyond. So. Uh, as much as the first part of the book has dealt with warning uh, regarding sin, uh, the second half of the book deals largely with comfort and promises, Brother Ray, regarding deliverance from correction and ultimately all of the hope that believers share, the hope that we have in common. Uh, we'll revisit that idea in the next hour in Romans 5 also. Uh, there's some uh, remarkable prophecies here in chapter 40. We'll see very quickly. Uh, the ministry of John the Baptist is, is prophesied. And in fact, the Gospels allude back to uh, this chapter and say, hey, this guy uh, was prophesied by Isaiah back, back there in Isaiah 40. So uh, we'll see that together with a number of wonderful things here uh, this morning. Zach, did we pray? 
we pray? We did. Okay, we're good to go. Uh, we're good to go. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning in verse 1. Again, his, uh, his message, the Lord's message at this point, the captivity having occurred, uh, turns to one of comfort uh, and the hope of forgiveness. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Uh, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, uh, saith your God. Uh, you might have said our God, but he, he's saying, he says your God. Uh, he uh, testifies that God has commanded him and, and given him words of comfort that the people now need. They've been warned. Uh, they're now being corrected. Uh, and the Lord graciously desires to use Isaiah to comfort the people. Uh, verse 2, speak ye comfortably. Evidently, the word of God, uh, the command of God to Isaiah. Speak ye uh, comfortably to Jerusalem, Isaiah and others, ye, uh, and cry unto her uh, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity, what is iniquity? Sin uh, is pardoned, uh, is forgiven, uh, for she hath received the Lord's, of the Lord's hand double uh, for all her sin. Uh, double what? Uh, double what do you suppose, Gary? Uh, punishment uh, certainly could be the case. Uh, yeah, ch chastening that uh, has caused them to turn back to the Lord, uh, seeking forgiveness, drawing back to him again. Uh, they were warned and warned and warned. They rejected the warning, but now that those prophecies are, are fulfilled uh, and, and they've come into the captivity, the correction of the captivity, uh, yeah, they're, they're being corrected as they have turned back to uh, the Lord. And Isaiah will just continue now uh, to comfort them with prophecy uh, and uh, truths related to, uh, I think, their ability to believe, to trust that the Lord can uh, and will bring these comforting prophecies uh, to pass. Now, what we'll see uh, here in the next several verses really is uh, prophecy regarding the first coming of Christ. Uh, and the announcement of the first coming of Christ by John the Baptist, uh, and then prophecy, Brother Ray, regarding the second coming of Christ. And so, you know, people who are going through a hard time, uh, to be, they, they would be comforted uh, at this news regarding their Messiah, uh, the one who makes their forgiveness, their pardon, verse 2, the one who makes their pardon possible. Uh, and so there, there's great comfort uh, to be seen here. Verse 3, uh, he speaks of the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Uh, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert uh, a highway for our who? Our God, uh, God the Son. Now, we know, we, we have the benefit of having all of the Bible, the completed canon of Scripture. We can look back here and say, no doubt uh, that that's a prophecy of, of John the Baptist, uh, the one who was chosen of the Lord, who came in fulfillment of this prophecy and other prophecies that we've seen. Uh, other places, uh, announcing the arrival, the imminent arrival uh, of their Messiah. Uh, you can make a couple of notes. Uh, for time's sake, we won't turn there. But in Matthew 3.3, 3, uh, in Matthew 3.3, 3, Matthew records, this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, that's Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. 
Uh, Mark says the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you. The, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all allude back to verse 3 uh, when they record the arrival of John the Baptist on the scene uh, announcing the arrival, the imminent arrival uh, of the Messiah. Uh, look at verse 3 again. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, middle of the verse. Make straight in the desert a highway for our who? Now, normally we've, we've said that uh, typically or most often that, that word would refer specifically to God the Father. Uh, but Zach here, it, it pretty clearly, I'm, I, not Isaiah, but John the Baptist, he wasn't announcing the coming of God the Father. He was announcing the coming of the Messiah, God, God the Son. Uh, he calls the Lord Jesus Christ God. Uh, and and that, this is just a wonderful proof text that Jesus wasn't just a man. Uh, he was a perfect man who was also God. Not God the Father, but God the Son. Um, so Isaiah prophesies the, 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 the coming, well, the one who would announce the coming of, of, the, uh, of, of Christ, their Messiah, uh, his first coming. Uh, and then verse 4 seems to look ahead to uh, his second coming. And this, this again... Uh, would be very comforting to the people uh, in Isaiah's day uh, and should be comforting to uh, all of us, God's people, uh, in our day. Verse 4, he says, Every valley shall be um, exalted, uh, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, uh, and the crooked shall be made straight, uh, and the rough places uh, plain. Now, it's possible that this language is only poetic, and it's picturing um, the exaltation of creation poetically, uh, the hills being made low, might, might just be a picture of the humbling of, of creation, which would include uh, people uh, at the second coming of Christ. The crooked shall be made straight probably does picture um, uh, people, unrighteous people being uh, made righteous, uh, rough places, plain, uh, all of that could be um, only poetic language. But Brother Ray, we've seen, we won't go there, but uh, even recently we've seen other passages uh, which seem to allude to uh, physical changes to the creation, both in the second heaven, where the sun, moon, and stars are, um, as, as well as uh, upon the earth as well. The Bible does teach in a variety of places or picture in a variety of places that um, they're, they're, during the millennium, the, the creation will have been uh, altered. Uh, you might use the word restored uh, to that uh, situation or, or something that would be akin to the way it was prior to uh, the fall. So uh, this may well refer to physical changes um, in the creation, uh, some of which be specific. Let me try again. Specifically, there we go, uh, in Jerusalem also. Uh, if you want to make a couple notes and go back and look at this, you see similar language in Zechariah 14.10 uh, and Ezekiel chapter 45. Don't, we won't go there this morning, but Ezekiel 45 also seems to allude to uh, physical changes in the creation that will accompany uh, the second coming of Christ. Uh, let's move on to verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Uh, Christ in his glorified state, uh, the one in which he is now, uh, having been raised uh, and, and bodily ascended back to heaven, 
uh, he's in his glorified state. Now, that will be revealed uh, to uh, those upon the earth uh, at his return. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, uh, and all flesh shall see it uh, together, for the mouth of the Lord uh, hath spoken it. Rich, that which God has said is that in which we can have great confidence, uh, perfect confidence. If God has said it, uh, it will be uh, at its appointed time. And so uh, the way we can believe this is, is knowing that God has said it. God gave these words to uh, Isaiah through the inspiration process, uh, and this will be uh, fulfilled. Now, um, you may try to put yourself in the shoes of a people who have been carried off to the Babylonian captivity. Uh, just try to consider some of the trauma uh, that would accompany that. All, all of the difficulty of being rooted up and marched away. Gary, I don't know if we really can't even begin to imagine uh, what that would be like. Uh, people were probably struggling in every way they could, uh, emotionally, psychologically, uh, spiritually, physically. Um, they, they, they might have been struggling to uh, believe, given all of that, there, there might have been a struggle, Brother Ray, to believe these promises that the Messiah will come once, uh, that he will come again. Um, by the way, verses four, uh, sorry, three and four, uh, picturing two separate comings of the Messiah might not have been understood to the people at, at this time. If, if verses three and four were all they had, that might not have been easily understood. But we can go back and say, sure, that, that seems to refer to uh, not just one coming of, of the Messiah of Christ, but, but two, uh, his first coming in, at the incarnation uh, in his second coming after the uh, tribulation period. Non nonetheless, people might have been struggling not just to understand, but to believe. Uh, and so the Lord, uh, through Isaiah, uh, I believe the balance of the chapter is primarily about encouraging them, yes, but, but aiding their belief and encouraging them in their belief uh, comforting them as perhaps their, their faith wobbles a little bit, uh, comforting them and encouraging them uh, in their belief. Now, he does that a number of different ways. He, he encourages their, their belief, their faith, uh, and comforts them uh, a number of different ways. Uh, in verses 6, 7, and 8, uh, he basically uh, encourages them with the idea that, hey, Unlike men who, who are feeble and weak, the Lord is strong. He's, he's omnipotent. And what he has said, verse 5, the, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, uh, he, he has power both to preserve his words and to uh, fulfill his words. And so he'll use this idea uh, co comparing uh, people to men to illustrate God's strength but he'll then illustrate his strength through uh, the Lord's strength through his ability to preserve his words. Uh, and ultimately what's pictured there, I believe, is his, his ability to uh, fulfill the prophecy that he is able to preserve uh, supernaturally. Look at verse 6. He says, um, the voice 
this be the Lord, we believe, said cry uh, or, or cry out. Uh, and he said, probably Isaiah says, uh, what shall I cry? What, what shall I say? And the Lord answers, um, all flesh uh, is grass. So he compares uh, people, Brother Ray, and their bodies to grass, like the grass of a field. Uh, in all goodliness thereof is as the flower uh, of the field, something that is fragile uh, and weak and temporary in a sense at least. Verse 8, he says, uh, you know, I'm, this is what I mean. The grass withereth, uh, it dries up like we see outside here today. Uh, the flower fadeth. Uh, we had these uh, beautiful uh, flowers at the parsonage uh, on some bushes that we have there. They're faded. They've withered uh, and, and they're faded. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. Uh, he's using that as an illustration of, of people. Uh, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it, surely the people is uh, or are like grass. This is poetic language. It's, it's the language of, of, of poetry. Um, look at verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but... Uh, and so here's a contrast. People are like grass who wither and fade and weaken, but... Uh, but the word of our God, read the rest of the verse with me, please, shall stand forever. Uh, yeah, not like us who, who wither and weaken and pass uh, away. Uh, no, uh, the word of God is, uh, it will uh, stand uh, forever. There's a permanency to God's words. Uh, how could that be? How could that be? How is it possible that uh, after Isaiah penned down these words, uh, that these uh, considerably more than 2,000 years later, that we're reading an accurate translation of those very same words? Brother Ray, the great uh, literary works of antiquity have not been preserved very well. We can see that. Uh, but words, books like this one that are even older, uh, we can see, have been preserved um, uh, perfectly well. Uh, how's that possible? Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, testify to the preservation of the book of Isaiah uh, specifically. Uh, what people had there uh, even before the first century uh, is remarkably close, uh, nearly, uh, nearly exactly the same as what we hold in our hands uh, this morning. That's, that's extraordinary. How could that be? Uh, Zach, how could that be? It's the supernatural preservation of an omnipotent God. Uh, the fact that God has promised to preserve his words, to keep them, that they'd stand forever uh, and be fulfilled, uh, is a wonderful testimony to the omnipotent strength, the power uh, and might of the Lord, not just to give those words supernaturally, but to preserve them uh, supernaturally. And Brother Ray, what's implied in this passage is that the same God that can inspire and preserve his words is the God who can fulfill what he is promising uh, here in this passage. So um, preservation and the God who's powerful enough to accomplish that, the preservation of his words, 
is the same God who's powerful enough to fulfill the promises of his words. Now, this is the doctrine of preservation. Write that down, please. This is the doctrine uh, of preservation. Uh, All too often, I would offer uh, that this doctrine has not been held up to be one of the fundamentals of the faith, but uh, I would argue respectfully uh, with, with those who would not view it that way that Uh, If we don't have the doctrine of preservation, we don't have much because we don't have God's words as they were given when they were given. Uh, But we do. We have verses like verse 8, which say, uh, the word of God uh, shall stand uh, forever. Um, Make a couple of notes, please. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, uh, one jot or one tittle of, uh, shall in no wise uh, pass from the law. Jots and tittles are, uh, well, a jot or, or a, a, is, is a, an allusion to the smallest Hebrew letter, uh, which is a Y. It's like, it looks like an apostrophe. Uh, and a tittle would be the smallest mark or smallest portion of an indivi- many individual Hebrew letters. So Jesus says, uh, you know what? Uh, all, all of my words down to the smallest letter uh, and the smallest part of the individual letters, uh, I'll, I'll preserve them. Uh, I, I will keep them. I will preserve them. Uh, later on in Matthew 24 and verse 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Uh, that's Matthew 24, 35. This is the doctrine of preservation. Brother Ray, we teach it because we find it uh, all the way through the Bible. We could look back in Matthew 12, and I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 12 as well. Just make a note, Psalm, six and, Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. We could go there uh, this morning as well. We won't, but um, Rich, we can be confident that the Lord gave these words and that he has fulfilled his promise to keep his words. In our King James Bible, by the way, only in the King James Bible uh, do we find God's perf- his perfectly preserved words accurately translated uh, for English speakers. We have some other um, foreign language, um, other language Bibles uh, that have the same accuracy, but not many. Uh, in Spanish, we have the, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, Reina Valera, uh, which was actually made from the same underlying Greek and Hebrew uh, 15 years or so before the King James Bible, made from the same underlying text, made the same way. Praise God, we have an excellent Spanish Bible also. So we have, we have an excellent Spanish Bible, one, uh, several versions of the Reina Valera, we have the King James Bible. We have other Bibles that are made from the same underlying text using a similar approach uh, in some other languages. But Brother Ray, not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Pray for Bible translators uh, who seek to provide accurate translations of God's preserved words. Uh, remember to pray for our missionary in Kenya, Robert Mickey. Uh, in their translation effort, because what they're trying to do now uh, is is give the people there, really for the first time, uh, a Bible in, remind me of the language, please. Flew out of my brain. 
a Swahili, a Swahili language Bible that would be translated from the same text as King James Bible, the preserved words of God, uh, with a similarly accurate translation uh, methodology. Uh, that matters. That matters because according to Matthew 4.4, 4, we're required to live according to all of God's words. Jesus said, it's written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3, which says the same thing. Uh, if you're going to live according to all of God's words, Brother Ray, you've got to have a Bible that accurately translates and retains accurately all of God's words. And so this doctrine is incredibly important. It's biblical. Uh, it's important. We, we must take care not to skip over it or minimize its importance. Uh, putting that all back in context of our passage this morning, uh, Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah, is comforting his people who are enduring the trial uh, of the captivity with the promise that their Messiah is coming. The basis by which they can be pardoned, uh, their Messiah is coming. Uh, and the words that record this promise, uh, verses 2, 3, 4, 5, uh, yet there's a God, their God is powerful enough to preserve these words and again, what's implied at least is that he's powerful enough to fulfill the promise of these words. Uh, come back to our passage, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. Uh, these next three verses add detail to Isaiah's prophecy of the second coming of, of Christ. They're encouraging. Verse 9, O Zion, that bringest good tidings, Get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings. Uh, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Uh, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your who? Your God. <laughs> this is, uh, no, no doubt, this is uh, to be uh, fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. Uh, Judah, uh, Jerusalem, uh, all, all lands, people will cry out, behold, your God, uh, as Christ is revealed at his second coming. Uh, behold, again, this is the second time that the Messiah at his return, uh, the second, second coming of Christ, I believe, is in view in verse 9. Uh, he's God. He's, he's God the Son. Uh, he'll come with power, with strength, with authority. See verse 10. Uh, behold, the Lord God uh, will come with strong hand. Uh, here, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Lord, uh, Lord God, uh, Adonai, Master. Zach, what's the word underlying G-O-D in verse 10? What's, there's something unique about G-O-D in verse 10. It's all capitals, and therefore we know the underlying word would be Jehovah, um, the personal name uh, of the Lord. Uh, why have the translators done this? This is Sunday school, so we can spend a minute on it. Um, they didn't want it to read Lord, Lord. <laughs> Lord, uh, because our English word, uh, the word we use for Adonai, master, is Lord. Uh, the English word that we use by convention for Jehovah is Lord. Uh, and so the translators didn't want it to read Lord, Lord. So they adopted the convention of, of translating uh, Jehovah as God in all caps when there would be a case like this. But, but you know, uh, it's the Lord that refers to Christ as an authoritative master, uh, that word, followed by 
the word Jehovah, which is the Lord's personal name and does in fact, uh, that the meaning of that name does allude to his power uh, and his strength. And no doubt that's why the Lord is using uh, both words here. You have one word that alludes to his authority, uh, 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 butted up against uh, one that, uh, a, a, a title that alludes to his authority uh, and his name, which alludes to his, his strength. Christ will come with great authority and with great strength. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule uh, for him. Behold, his reward uh, is with him and his work uh, before him. He will come with authority uh, and with strength and he will exercise authority and strength and power uh, on behalf of his people. Uh, these are not just his attributes. Uh, he, he, there's purpose for his attributes. Uh, he exercises his attributes um, very often, which we can see in scripture, on behalf of or for the benefit of his people. Uh, his grace certainly is exercised on behalf of and for the benefit of his people. Brother Amechik, he, he exercises his authority uh, on behalf of and for the benefit of his people uh, and his power. Uh, verse 11, he shall feed his flock. Uh, he has power to provide for his people uh, today. We don't have to worry about that today. We don't have to worry about it in the millennium either. Uh, he, will, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather uh, the lambs. Uh, the Lord has power to protect us today. Uh, he'll continue to protect us um, in and throughout the, the millennium uh, and in the perfect way that, that we desire as well uh, with his arm and carry them in his bosom uh, and shall, I love the end of verse 11, Zach, I think you will too, and shall gently what? Lead those that are with young. Um, wonderful picture of the Lord's power to provide uh, and to protect and to lead his people. Brother Ray, there's a sense in which the Lord is accomplishing that, exercising his power to do that on behalf of his people, including us today. This will continue to be uh, um, the case uh, at the return of Christ in and throughout the millennium. Uh, in verses 12 down through uh, 17, uh, Isaiah further encourages people uh, experiencing the trial of the captivity that they can trust their God who's comforting them with all of this, these wonderful promises, all of this that God no doubt intends to be hopeful. Uh, they can trust uh, the God who, can, who has power to preserve his words. Uh, they can trust this God who is an omnipotent God. In verses 12 down through 17, uh, reveal and illustrate God's omnipotence. Rich, when I say omnipotence, what do I mean? He's all powerful. You guys got that, right? We refer to God's omnipotence. We're saying uh, he's all powerful, omni, all uh, potent, powerful. Uh, he's all powerful. He has absolutely unlimited power. Uh, and that's why he can fulfill his promises to us today 
Uh, and that's why uh, people in captivity uh, could be confident that they have hope that they would ultimately be pardoned and know great blessings of God in and throughout the future uh, millennium. Now, uh, the Lord has Isaiah to uh, sort of paint out or picture his omnipotence with some questions. It's very interesting. Uh, there are questions that evidently are designed to cause them to stop and consider uh, for themselves the omnipotence of the Lord. Look at verse 12. Uh, he asks a question. Who hath measured the waters, uh, the waters of creation, the waters of the earth, uh, in the hollow of his hand, uh, and meted out heaven uh, with the span? Uh, probably the second heaven in, in view there. So uh, who, has, who has held and spread out the waters of, of the earth uh, in the palm of his hand? Who, who, who alone could do that? The Lord. Uh, perhaps the waters of the second, uh, first heaven and second heaven uh, are in view here also. Who's meted out heaven uh, with or across the span uh, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure? Uh, who, who has measured out the dust of the earth and, and, and formed it? Uh, think of like uh, a recipe uh, being uh, measured out uh, and, and the creation being brought into existence. I know I've taught that uh, the Lord spoke creation into existence from nothing, and that is true. So, Brother Ray, my illustration there is a little bit flawed, but uh, you get the idea. Uh, who has weighed the mountains in scales uh, and the hills in, in a balance? Uh, who, who is the one who uh, brought forth creation? Church, who did that? Who created all things? The, the, the Lord did. Uh, he did. Uh, if he has power to do that, to speak creation into existence, he has power to keep his words and to fulfill his words. Brother Ray has power to keep the promises uh, that he has preserved. Verse 13, another question. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, uh, or being his counselor, uh, hath, hath taught him? Uh, who, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? That, that's the Lord. Uh, verse 14, with whom took he counsel? Uh, in whom, uh, who instructed him and taught him uh, in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him uh, the way of understanding? Uh, verse 15, uh, 16 and 17 uh, are very interesting. Uh, here, uh, the Lord through Isaiah offers the idea that um, men consider nations uh, to be powerful. Certainly some nations in history at least. Uh, the nation of Assyria, uh, the Assyrian Empire was very powerful. Uh, the people to whom the Lord was writing uh, in Isaiah's day understood the power of, of empires. Assyria followed by Babylon. But Isaiah says, you know what? Uh, the power of Assyria followed by the power of Babylon that's a drop in the bucket compared to the power of the Lord your God. It basically says just that. Look at verse 15. He says, behold, the nations are as a what? A drop of a bucket. Uh, a drop of a bucket uh, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles uh, as a very little thing. Verse 16, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient uh, for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. 
all of the nations of the earth and all of their power added together, they're nothing compared to the Lord's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. Uh, they are counted to him less than what? What does it say at the end of verse 17? All their power is less than what? Less than nothing, uh, and therefore vanity. You know, it's here for a moment, and it's gone. Maybe there's some influence they've had for a moment, but, but they're gone. Um, is the Assyrian Empire still here exercising power? It's not. What about the Babylonian Empire? Uh, what, 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 in what condition is the ancient city of Babylon today? It is destroyed. It, it is destroyed. Uh, there are some ruins, but they are ruins. It is destroyed. Uh, yeah. Um, the power of nations is here for a moment, uh, and then it's gone. In what state is the Roman Empire today, Brother Gary? It's gone. Uh, some form of it evidently be revived in the tribulation period, but on, only for a time. Um, gone. Uh, present for a moment, but vain in that it has no lasting effect, no lasting power. Um, the Lord is just exactly the opposite of that. He has perfect power that will last forever. Uh, and therefore, he's a God who can keep his word. He's a God who can keep his promises. He's a God who can keep his promise to these people uh, that because their Messiah will come once, die for their sins, that'll be made more clear in chapter 53, come again uh, ushering in his uh, empire, his kingdom, where he will exercise perfect power that is not vain in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he'll use that to provide for his people. That'll include us. Uh, we don't have to worry about anything. Amen? We have a God, Brother Ray, who has perfect power and perfect authority to exercise that power. Um, I trust many of the people who received these words were greatly encouraged, and uh, I trust that we are too. We'll pick this up, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. Uh, and continue along these same lines. Isaiah just continues to reveal and illustrate and encourage the people uh, with God's power, with God's strength. Let's take a moment and thank him for his strength, his power, uh, and the confidence that we can have in him because of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so very much this morning uh, for who you are, for what you're like, Lord, I thank you this morning that you are. What a hopeless existence it would be uh, to not know that you are. Of course, we know that you are the great I am. Father, I thank you this morning that you've revealed yourself to be a God of unlimited power, strength, and authority. Lord, thank you this morning for revealing yourself through your words. Lord, thank you this morning that you have power to keep your words, to preserve them from Isaiah's day all the way to this day. Lord, that we might be encouraged, that our hope might be encouraged. Lord, thank you 
Father, I thank you this morning that you revealed yourself to us as a God of perfect power, perfect strength, and perfect authority. You're able to keep your promises to us today and forever. Lord, I thank you this morning also that we know you're a God who is perfectly faithful. Not only can you keep your promises today and forever, you do keep them. Lord, thank you so very much. Father, thank you for the cross, which enables us to know you, to have a close walk relationship with you. Lord, thank you for the cross that enables us to be saved and to stay saved. Lord, we love you this morning. I thank you so very much. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. See you back shortly.